0: Hey guys, real quick before we get started, we are doing a free giveaway for listeners between now and May 31st, cash prizes, free swag, yacht meetup tickets, San Diego Padre tickets, and more. All you got to do to qualify is go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star review, send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com, and we'll be selecting lucky winners May 31st. As always, I appreciate the support. Now let's jump into the show.
1: My job is being a good mom and running my business, and I can't do that when I'm doing the little you know, $5 an hour dishes tasks. So we have a house manager that does that, and I have no shame in that. I haven't done my own laundry in five years, and it's awesome because you have to be able to squeeze out those little tasks that take up time. It's just busy work, so you can focus on the important things.
0: Welcome to the Rich Summers Report, where we talk real estate, business, and wealth building all while keeping it real. No fluff, no BS. I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of The Report. Today we got a special episode as we are not in my studio. We are actually here in Nashville, Tennessee for the STR Wealth Conference and we are actually recording out of our Airbnb. We got the team out here and uh, we got a guest today who is an expert in the short-term rental field. She uh, invests in multifamily apartments as well and she's got multiple brokerages around the country helping folks invest in short-term rentals. I got None other than Avery Carl. Avery, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Sorry, I was like so late. I had the hardest time getting here.
0: <laughs> it's all good. We've had a couple <laughs> of conversations uh, virtually now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were on my old podcast, the Multifamily Takeoff, about mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, and uh, I was on your podcast here recently. I think that was only a couple weeks ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, that'll be out soon. It's yeah. not out yet?
0: But uh, it's the first time connecting in person, mm-hmm. and uh, so welcome.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So give us an idea of uh, what you're doing today in the space and and what you own in real estate.
1: So what I own, I have 250 doors currently. Eight of them are short-term rentals. I've got about eight between 10 and 25 unit apartment buildings. And the rest are single family long-terms. The apartment buildings are obviously long-terms. So I've got a little bit of everything. And I kind of try to treat my short-term rentals as cash flow turbochargers to fund my portfolio in other ways. Um, not saying that having a 1,000 short-term rentals is wrong, but I like to have a diverse portfolio. So we do a little bit of everything.
0: And that's one of the things that I love about your investment strategy, because a lot of people doing the STR thing, they're all in on it. But as you alluded to, uh, there's a certain amount of risk that comes with it. But you're diversified <laughs> and you got some long-terms investing in apartments as well. Mm-hmm. How have you seen the current environment that we're in with the high interest rates and everything? How has that affected the short-term rental industry?
1: So it's actually, I think it's positively affected it from a buyer perspective because now you can actually like choose what property you want instead of having to like spray and pray a hundred offers and fifty thousand over asking on everything and hope that you get something and just have to take what you can get. Mm-hmm. Whereas now you can actually choose what property you want to offer on. You can negotiate. You can ask for closing costs. You can do all those things that we took for granted three years ago that over the past two years you haven't been able to do because those interest rates have kind of shaken the weaker investor hands out of the market. So it's a really good time to buy stuff. Uh, You just have to make sure the numbers work at the interest rate you're able to get it for.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, It's nice not having to compete with multiple offers because people, if you remember just a couple of years ago, 2021 and early 22, most properties out there in good markets, good locations had 25, 30 offers. And how do you compete? And so now uh, in the marketplace and the interest rate environment that we're in, like you alluded to, it's not uncommon to see a deal that's sitting on the market for 45 days. And guess what? You might be the only offer on the table. Mm -hmm. And now you're just negotiating with the seller. But um, I love that. And uh, tell us a little bit about your brokerages. I know you guys are in multiple markets right now, and I believe you said you're adding two. Yeah. Uh, Tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about what you guys do.
1: So uh, short-term shop, we're brokered by eXp, I have to say that, or else I get in trouble with eXp. And uh, we have offices in 15 of the top short-term rental, vacation rental, I specify vacation rental markets uh, in the country. And we're opening up a few more here over the next few months. We focus on regional drivable vacation markets that have very friendly uh, regulations. So like, for example, we would not have an office in a metro market or a suburban market. We actually used to have an office here in Nashville when I lived here, but because the regulations are so unfavorable and I kept... Having situations where we're having to get attorneys involved to get our clients out of deals because developers wouldn't let them out because when they got under contract pre-construction, short-term rentals were allowed. And then over the two years that the property took to be built, they were outlawed in that area. And so it, I was just like, you know what? We're, we're sticking to markets where it's easy to do, where you're not having to fight a million battles. You can mm-hmm. just buy the house and rent it, get a permit, call today. So we're open. We just opened up Scottsdale it was our most recent and we're doing, um, like the Cle Elum, like Sunkadia area of Washington, the Oregon coast and Shenandoah, Virginia.
0: I love that. And uh, we're in Scottsdale. We, uh, I have a property out there and then we actually manage another property for a client. Um, so what kind of properties are you guys brokering right now? Is it is it already existing short-term rentals or is it New properties that the clients are buying and they're going to furnish them, or is it all the above? Hey guys, real quick, I hope that you're finding value in this show. If you could do me a huge favor and drop a five star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you're listening on, it would mean the world to me. Also, if you know of anyone that would potentially benefit from this podcast, feel free to share it with them so we can help more people build wealth through real estate investing. Now back to the show.
1: All the above. Uh, So, depending on the market, I would say most of the market, since they are mature vacation markets, like a lot of them are either people's second homes or investments already. So when they go to buy them, they're coming furnished because actually a lot of people think, oh, well, if I offer unfurnished, then I'll get a better deal. No, like you can pay me for me to have to get this furniture out because that's a pain, you know, so Mm -hmm. furniture comes with it. Uh, It's easy to do. Uh, So a lot of them are going to come that way. We do do a lot of new construction, especially in the Smokies because we've been in that market the longest. So we represent a few developers there, but it's a little bit of everything,
0: to be honest. How do you guys source so many deals that come furnished?
1: It's just the markets, man. <laughs> you choose those yeah. markets that everything that's for sale. It's very it's very rare that like in a Smokies or a Destin, Florida or Orlando or like, sorry, Kissimmee outside of Orlando. It's very rare that properties that hit the market are actually people's homes that they're moving out of and taking their furniture with them. Mm-hmm. That's really if you're buying in a more metro market, that would be much more common. And then you do have to furnish it yourself. But in the markets we work in, like 90% of them are going to come furnished. Now you might have to make some tweaks because you don't like some things or something's beat up, but you can knock a big chunk of that line item out because they come furnished.
0: Sure. Now, um, we had a big Airbnb boom over the last two years. I feel like there's a lot of educators in the space on the Internet that are teaching Airbnb. Uh, we're seeing some markets around the country that we're in, at least, become a little bit oversaturated. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still performing well with a lot of our properties, but the ones that are doing the best right now are unique properties that are uh, maybe larger with a lot of amenities or they have uh, a special or unique design to them. Uh, talk a little bit about this Airbnb bus that everyone's talking about. Is it real? Is it true? What are you seeing on your front?
1: I love the Airbnb bus. This is my favorite thing to talk about. I would say there's a lot of people who got into the space over the past two years that don't belong in the space. Like, And what I mean by that is a lot of people who aren't looking at it as an investment, a lot of people who are looking at it as more of a vanity project. Like, let me tell all my friends that I have a beach house and they look at it more of like a status symbol because it's cool. You know, it's a lot mm-hmm. cooler to be like, hey, check out my beach house. And hey, check out my 50 unit apartment building in Cleveland. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who got in, A, that didn't need to be there. B, that got in at a time when you could just slap anything up on Airbnb and make a ton of money. You actually do have to manage things. It is work. You know, it's not just passive. I can turn my phone off the rest of my life and take a nap. You have to manage things. So I think people got that got in in the past two years got a little spoiled with not having to actually do the work. And then now that it's kind of back to normal in terms of travel, in terms of what we're seeing in our properties that we've had since the, for the better part of a decade, it's like getting a little... We're still getting booked more or making more money than we did in 2019, but it's certainly not 2021 numbers. So I think a lot of people just got spoiled with the amount of work that they thought it was, and it's actually more. So now they're like, oh, man, I actually have to tweak my prices if I'm not getting booked. So... Um, I really don't think there's as much of a bust in some areas as others. It's very Mm -hmm. market-specific, as with all real estate. I think also that the style of management makes as much of a difference as the property itself. So there's still, for example, I went on vacation uh, last week, stayed in a luxury, easily $2 million condo in Whitefish, Montana. It had heated floors. It had heated Toto toilets in every bathroom. And like this thing was nice. It was stocked with everything. It had Tupperware. Like I would never put Tupperware because like, you have to deal with finding all of it. Anyway, mm. had everything. This property manager was not using any type of property management software, no dynamic pricing tool, no guidebook, and they were not booked. We went the week before every all the spring break started. They were not booked for any spring break dates because they weren't, they weren't using a pricing tool. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that difficult to be in that top 25% of managers because all you have to do is pay attention and use the the technological tools that are available to us. And um, so I think having a unique property as much as optimizing your management.
0: What are your favorite uh, technology or tech stacks software that Mm -hmm. you like to uh, utilize or suggest to your clients when you're when you're operating?
1: Yeah, so we use hospitable as a property management software, we use price labs for our pricing tool, and we use touch day for our guidebook.
0: Okay, I love that touch day. I haven't heard of touch day.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're great. There's a few guidebook options. There's Touchday. There's Hostfully. But I think Touchday is probably the most uh, all-encompassing. It has just kind of everything you need. It integrates really nicely with everything else. So
0: yeah. yeah. So with this climate that we're in, we got a couple bank collapses that happened recently. Um, we might have some more bank collapses in the future. The Fed has a big decision to make this week. Are they going to insure a lot of the regional banks and all their deposits over the next two years? And are they going to print additional money? And are are they going to keep fighting inflation? So we're going to see. But all that to say is things are shifting really quickly. And I tell all the investors out there, like it's more important than ever right now to be paying attention to the news, um, to be adjusting your investment strategy. So where are you putting your money in 2023 moving forward in this climate that we're in?
1: So that's a really, really good question. And I'm going to preface my answer with, I am by no means an economist. I am just some chick from Mississippi who buys houses (laughs) and rents them. But Uh, So to be honest with you, my first knee-jerk reaction when I started reading this, so we've been kind of looking at, uh, we call them deer camps in Mississippi, but it's really just like farmland with a cabin on it to like go hang out. And uh, so we've been looking at some quote deer camp land, really to just get away from the tourists where we live uh, on certain weekends of the summer, like 4th of July, when it's just so crazy. And we have been going back and forth in a negotiation with one that we were planning to pay cash and my knee jerk reaction when I saw the bank stuff is like, oh man, I guess we better put our cash into that deer camp, and get it out of, get it out of the banks and into something that can't be like taken away or collapse. So I don't know what the right advice is, but dep- I guess it depends on how much capital you have in the banks. I don't necessarily think it's going to go too terribly much further, but then again, you know what the hell do I know? I am not minding moving things into more real estate, moving cash Mm -hmm. out of the bank and into more real estate.
0: I agree. I think there's a lot of uncertainty out there. And I tell people, I'm like, look, now's the time to take control of your financial future. Get your money out of the financial system, out of the banking system. You can't trust the stock market right now. You can't trust the 401k. And there's a lot of volatility and no one really knows where it's going to take us. But if I'm a betting man, uh, I think real estate is going to come out ahead, especially if you have a long hold period. If you can buy some good debt, Buy a cash flowing asset and you're not forced to sell it in the next one to two years, and you can hold it 10 plus years and you're buying good locations. I think real estate's always going to win. And then you throw in the tax benefits and all that sort of stuff, which is why I love real estate. But that said, uh, if you are uh, going into some short term rental markets, let's say we got a listener out there that's looking to buy a short term rental this year, what are some markets that you like and why?
1: Well, it depends on the person. I'm always going to say regional, drivable, true vacation market. In terms of the ones we operate in that I will just kind of use as an example because that's what I'm most familiar with, uh, we have what what I call our blue chip markets and then our em- emerging markets, which I should probably come up with a better word for that. But blue chip markets are the markets like the Smokies, Destin, Broken Bow, that they're always going to be a really good place to own things. The income is always really, really high there, even in a, a dip, but you're going to pay a lot of money to get into those for that. Uh, emerging markets, I would call them emerging in terms of starting to catch on with investors, not emerging as a vacation market. Um, our offices in Western North Carolina are doing really well because it's a lot of people go to the Smokies and go, oh, hell, I didn't know how expensive this was. And they scoot over to North Carolina. Um, also, the Forgotten Coast of Florida, a little bit undiscovered. Uh, and then Myrtle Beach, South Carolina is great. And then if you're somebody too, who's like, man, I really just want to be able to to midterm or long term rent this if I if something happens Scottsdale yeah,
0: yeah I love that the Myrtle Beach market is interesting we uh, <laughs> we've been looking at some boutique hotel deals out there but we haven't pulled the trigger yet I feel like there's just an oversaturation of boutique hotels is the short term rental regulations pretty relaxed in that market
1: yeah so there's a few regulations in terms of just like keeping things organized mm-hmm. but not in a like well we're not going to give you a permit or putting caps on permits and things like that
0: yeah. That's interesting. Scott Steele is great, too. I didn't realize that you guys are uh, under eXp. Mm -hmm. And so talk a little bit about how that org chart kind of works. So eXp is a big brokerage, and they let their agents keep. Is it 100% of the commission or is it
1: 90%? So the way it works is it's a cap system. So it's 80% until they make 16 grand off you, and then it's 100, and then they give it back to you in stock or whatever. Like I I'm the worst EXP agent because I don't try to recruit other agents. I'm like, I'm just here to sell real estate, guys. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but we are brokered by EXP and we do love it there because they kind of let us do what we're going to do. They don't try to, because we do operate a lot differently than a team that's selling a lot of primary homes. So a lot of our processes are different and they're, they've they been very helpful and understanding of like, this is why we can't do it like everybody else does. Sure. Yeah.
0: And so how many agents do you currently have amongst all your locations, ballpark? 70. 70 agents. Yeah. Wow. And you were in the lending side. Uh, Are you still doing the lending? mm -hmm. Gotcha. What kind of loans are you guys doing? Is it DSCR, mostly short-term rental stuff?
1: Yeah. So Mortgage Shop can do any kind of loan, but same thing as short-term shop. Like we specialize in the second home in the investment loan. You have to make sure you're doing second home right. Don't Mm -hmm. abuse the second home loan, guys. Uh, And DSCR. So we're seeing mostly DSCR right now. And then uh, a lot of people don't realize you can put 15% down on a conventional investment loan. Like you don't have to go to get a lower down payment, you don't have to say, oh, I, oh, I plan to stay there. You mm-hmm. get 15% down investment, call it a day.
0: Yeah. So what's the, because I know right now in this this rate <laughs> environment prior, like about a year ago, before the rates started going up, there were some lenders out there would do, that would do a DSCR, no doc on a short term rental for as little as 10% down, definitely 15% down. Mm-hmm. And this is no tax return, no personal de- uh, debt to income for the listeners out there, which was a great product. But since the rates went up, we're looking at like more 25% down. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing anything else out there that is as little as 10 to 15% down no doc in this environment?
1: I'm not seeing it no dock. Um, yeah, uh, DSCRs right now, you're looking at 20% minimum, 25 in some cases, 15% down conventional. I mean, if you can find a local commercial bank that'll do a short-term rental, either local to you or local to the property, then that might be a good way to go right now because they have a little more flexibility in terms of interest rates and things like that. But the problem is just finding a commercial bank that will do a short term rental.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I want to switch gears here a little bit. Um, You know, as a real estate entrepreneur, it's easy to get sucked into a lot of the business and we're always grinding. And from a time perspective, it's easy for us to get consumed and busy. I know you're traveling out here, you're speaking today, you're speaking tomorrow at this conference. And you got all these different brokerages that you're you're at, and uh, you got a couple kids. Mm-hmm. How do you manage and juggle all this time, and still find some time to uh, you know hang out with your family and enjoy yourself a little bit? Learning to become a successful real estate investor can take a lot of time and dedication, which some people just don't have. If you're one of these individuals, this doesn't mean you can't invest in real estate. My company, Summers Capital, is buying a bunch of boutique hotels right now, and you can invest with us in these deals without having to do any of the work. Our team sources the deals, we secure the lending, we take care of all the renovations. And we even handle all the day to day operations with our in house management company, making it truly hands off and passive for our investors. If you want to learn more to see if we can help you go to summerscapital.com slash invest to book a call with our team. Again, that's summerscapital.com slash invest. Now back to the show.
1: It's a great question. So I have a no longer than 48 hour rule away from the kids. So if that means if I'm, you know, flying out directly after my talk tomorrow, that's what I'm doing. We're getting home on time. And uh, I could go on about this in terms of like gender roles forever, but um, I don't do housework. So especially when you're in the brokerage space and when you're in the short term rental space, when you're, you can't really there's all kinds of great books and content and stuff out there about time blocking. And that works really well when you have your own to do list and you're not on at the mercy of anybody else. But in the brokerage business, you're at the mercy of whatever deal is blowing up for whatever client guests need something, things like that. So what I do, I, there's only so much I can time block. And when I'm free and I'm home with the kids, I don't know if something a fire is going to pop up that I need to put out. So I'm going to walk straight past that pile of laundry and play with the kids because if I say, oh, well, you know, I've got three hours, I'm totally done for the rest of the day and I start doing the laundry and then somebody calls and needs something and I got to p- go put it out, then the kids are pushed out. So I hire that out. Love we have that. a housekeeper who comes four days a week. My mother, it's still she helps with the kids all the time and bless her Southern heart, it Kills her. I see her face when I walk past a sink full of dishes and don't stop and do any <laughs> of them. she's like, mm-hmm. She's like, Do I do I say something to her? And that's not my job. My job is being a good mom and running my business. And I can't do that when I'm doing the little, you know, $5 an hour dishes tasks. So we have a house manager that does that. And I have no shame in that. I haven't done my own laundry in five years. And it's awesome because you have to be able to squeeze out those little tasks that take up time. It's just busy work so you can focus on the important things.
0: And what about the cooking side of it? Because that can be uh, pretty time intensive, especially having kids. Personally, I don't don't cook. It's just not the best return on my time. Mm -hmm. So I'm always doing Uber Eats or I'm going out to eat. And I think if I I do want to have kids one day, but I can see myself when I have a family, like I want to just hire a chef Mm -hmm. because from a time perspective, I need to value my time. Those two, three hours it takes to go to the grocery store to prep the food, to prepare it, clean it, and then do all the dishes. I can make a lot more money in those three hours than if I would just going to do that sort of thing. So how do you guys do the cooking and how do you approach that?
1: Great question. I really enjoy cooking and I do want my kids to have those memories when they get older of like, oh yeah, my mom makes the best, whatever. But that's not real life all the time. So I do that like once on the weekends and for the week, because you're right, it takes a long time to do. It takes time away from other things like hanging out with the kids. So there's a meal prep company that my husband and I use, like a local one. It's called, um, what is it called? Healthy Coast Meals. Nice. We get that for us. And the kids are still in the phase where they're like, you know, frozen chicken nuggets and macaroni is all they want to <laughs> eat. So uh, we either do that or there's a great build your own salad place, like five minutes from our house. We'll do that. Um, But we we don't do a lot of cooking at home. And I think that needs to be talked about more because people prioritize that so hard. And it's totally okay to get, you know, a meal prep delivery or something.
0: I completely agree. I use Factor 75 personally, and um, those things are great. I got to pivot most recently (laughs) because I don't know what it is. I just if I need to be in the zone to eat them, Mm -hmm. like if I'm focused, I'm like, okay, I'm trying to like lean out a little bit, lose a little bit of weight, then I will eat them uh, religiously. But right now I'm just like so busy for whatever reason. I just let these things go to waste. So I think either I got to switch it up or cancel the subscription. But I completely agree with you. It's just from a time perspective, it just makes so much sense to just order that stuff out. And (laughs) it's funny that you alluded to your mom was like Mm -hmm. because my parents, I don't know what it is about that generation, I think my mom's the same way. Like she still does all the laundry. She still cooks and does all those sort of things. And and I think she just, for me, when she sees me do all this stuff, she's like, what are you doing? You're wasting your money. But you know, I think that generation, they just see it a little bit differently. Yeah, they do. So what are your goals as we transition to the end of the show? What are your goals for the rest of this year? What are you looking to accomplish?
1: So for me personally, on the investing side, I think we're To the level that we're looking at, we're not winding down yet, but we're looking at that being the next step. So we're at 250 doors. Like you know, maybe it'll be we're buying two more short-term rentals, or maybe it's 150 unit to put us at an even 300. We're kind of getting to the point where it's like, okay, we can buy more doors. That's fine. We can keep doing what we do, what we're doing, and create more work for ourselves. Or we can come over here and pay off a few things and double the income on those without creating more work for ourselves. So we're kind of at this crossroads of like, do we have enough? Is that real? Do you get to the point where you have enough? So we're kind of thinking we might be to the point where the cash flow is where we want it to be. Maybe we start, you know, knocking out a few of our bigger notes and um, winding that down so we can kind of hang out with the kids. Uh, In terms of the sales team, there's a few more markets I want to get open by the end of the year. And we're just kind of trucking on through. We're kind of in like Cruise mode right now, um, because mm. it was so crazy in 2021 and 2022. Like we had to shut our phones off so nobody could call us because we just had so many people come in in the door that everybody was getting pissed off at us because we couldn't get to them. And it was like our agents were really, really stressed. And when you think about it, too, it's like a lot of work back then because you had to make twenty offers for one client just to be able to get them a deal. Now you can do two or three, and it's back to a manageable level. So everybody's at a manageable level of work. And now we can kind of now that the tide's gone out, we can kind of see where we need to fix some things and uh, just kind of cruising on that right. side.
0: It's interesting perspective that you alluded to uh, paying down some of these these notes. Um, I'd have to imagine like a lot of your multifamily stuff are on pretty, uh, pretty competitive interest rates. Are you guys paying those off as well? Or is there only the single family stuff?
1: So that's a conversation that we have like two or three times a week because we're like, well, which ones do we pay off? Because you're right, there are some things that we have some really great loans on. But then when I look at it over the course of the year, like, oh, we paid $70,000 in interest on this house last year. So, yeah, that's a great loan. Maybe we'll knock that out, though, because not only would it double the cash flow in terms of not having to pay the note anymore, then there's $70,000 in cash flow. So it's like a Tetris game of trying to figure out which things make the most sense and if we even will. But I think we are at the point of like, all right, we've got enough doors, the cash flows there, we can chill.
0: Yeah, I hear you. We just closed a uh, cash out refi a couple days ago on a uh, larger multifamily property that we have out in North Carolina. But we were on adjustable rate mortgage and we had to basically our debt service was mid 20s a month. And we had an interest rate cap that was 200 basis points. And since the rates went up, like considerably above that, our debt service went from mid-20s a month to like almost $90,000 a month. Oh, my
1: God. <laughs> um,
0: but luckily, we were able to get so much rent growth through mm-hmm. our unit renovations and improvements that we're able to do a nice cash out refi, pulled out $2.5 million tax deferred. So our investors are going to be pretty stoked this week <laughs> when we hit them up. But uh, are you going to be looking at to buy more multifamily? Because I feel like as much as like the short-term rentals are sexy, the boutique hotels are sexy, I still want to buy more multifamily down the road. I just think it's a, a time-tested asset class. It's evergreen. There's never going to be a replacement for a place for people to sleep. Um, and so I definitely want to buy more of them as this evolves. Where are you guys standing in terms of multifamily?
1: Yeah, it, that's most likely going to be the last few things that we buy. And I agree. I It's not cool. Like, it is not fun. Like, look at my really cool multifamily. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're going to put new LVP in it later this <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I really like it because you're right. It's very secure. It's really difficult for the rents to, like, swing wildly. And it's, t- you know, time-tested. Like you said, it's been around for a long time. People have been doing this forever. And uh, I, I really like it. It makes me feel very comfortable. And the cash flow is there in terms of, because when you're comparing a single family long-term versus a single family short-term, yeah, that's a lot different. But the cash flow, if you can get a, a bigger multifamily, is is there and it's great. So I'm, I'm a big fan of multifamily, although it's not not nearly as fun to talk about, right?
0: Yeah, I hear <laughs> you. Yeah. Well, Avery, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to uh, finally connect in person. Uh, we'll go ahead and tag your, uh, your info, contact info. I suggest all the listeners that go follow you on Instagram. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you in the next one. Peace.